East Coast. She's been here 12 years, 11 years, 12 years, 11, 13, I'm sorry, I was wrong. Um, but I just wanted to go ahead and stand up and just and say thank you for 12, 13 years. Thanks, Brian. Brian, can I have a little mic? She's been an incredible addition to the, uh, what was the coastal ministry and now the South Bay ministry and just uh, so special to so many. And thank you for all your service and your friendship and your love. And we're going to miss you a lot. And uh, we know you're going to have great times ahead as well. Uh, I want to say a prayer right now before we start the service. And uh, I do want to ask to keep in your prayers Dawn Hose. Many of you know Dawn who was part of the uh, South Bay. She's in the hospital right now uh, in uh, Harbor UCLA doing a routine surgery. And the doctors could not stop the bleeding. Don't know why. So we're going to pray for her uh, right now. And um, uh, we'll go from there. Thanks. Our Father in heaven, we uh, thank you for this time that we could be together to worship. Uh, thank you for Lori. We really pray that she feels loved as she's sent off to the East Coast. Uh, bless her new chapters of her faith and her life and guide her and guard her and protect her and uh, give her great many blessings ahead and bless her with, her with new employment and everything else there going forward. And we pray for Dawn. God, we really love her and thankful for all the years she served here. Please be with her. Be with the doctors. Help her body respond to the medications. Help the doctors give them wisdom exactly on what she needs, when she needs it, and how she needs it, and heal her body uh, quickly and immediately, God. We are so thankful uh, for her. Uh, Father, I pray for our service today. May your word not come back void. May your word speak to every human soul here, and may it minister to the heart. Uh, Father, help us be more excited about Jesus, who we get to follow, who we get to model and emulate our whole life after. Father, bless uh, this time. Speak through me. Let everyone not just pay attention to the words, but listen to the words of your spirits and what the Spirit's saying to each person here. We love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, one other thing is the singles will not be with us next week. We have a retreat uh, out in the mountains called Catalyst uh, that we do every year. We're doing it with two other regions. And uh, so we'll all be in uh, Big Bear uh, next, actually Forest Falls next Sunday. And uh, we won't be here, so I'm sure you guys will pick up the slack of zeal. Right? All right, all right, all right. And uh, also, there is a midweek for the singles uh, this week. There was some confusion about that, if you could uh, plan on that. Turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 5, if you would, please. We're going to look at that text and one other for our study today. Uh, as Brian talked about, we have been talking about the incredible qualities of Jesus not all of them, but some select qualities. Brian talked about him being a trailblazer a few weeks back. Uh, Steve talked about him being a risk taker. Uh, I talked about last week. Somebody's got to remind me. I can't even remember myself. Anyone remember? Thank you. My mind has just been on a leader, okay? So it's not... Uh, last week I talked about Jesus being a fighter and how he calls us to be fighters. And today I'm going to talk about Jesus being our leader, and being the leader. You know, everybody uh, follows somebody. Maybe it's your hairstyle. Maybe it's a sports person. Maybe it's academically. Uh, maybe it's your dad or your mom. Or, But all of us have people that we grab little bits and pieces of that impression they made on me, I'm keeping. I'm sticking with. That professor, that neighbor, that friend... That uncle, whatever it is, 
where we follow them. We go, hey, I want to take on those qualities. And yet there's something about Jesus that is so amazing. In Luke, in Mark chapter 10, you don't have to turn there. There's this passage as Jesus was going to Jerusalem that I love. And it says in Mark 10, 32, you should look on the screen. They were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way. And the disciples were astonished while those who followed were afraid. You know, when you follow Jesus, really, it should astonish you. And the word astonish in the Greek means awe, a sense of wonder, amazement, like, wow. And when you follow Jesus, there's a little bit of fear as well. Of it. Where's he going to take me? I don't know if I want to do that. That's not me. I love when you're studying the Bible and helping somebody become a disciple and they realize, so I have to tell other people about Jesus? Uh-uh. That's not me. You ever, anyone ever said that or felt that? Raise your hand. Be honest. A lot of us, like, hey, I'll be a good Christian, but that part, no. And yet, as we see, if we're going to follow Jesus, we got to follow Jesus. And as these guys were following Jesus up to Jerusalem, and remember, where was he going to Jerusalem? What was he going to Jerusalem to do? To die. They kind of heard it, but didn't believe it and accept it because it's a little challenging. I'm following my leader to go watch him die. And then they'll probably go after me next. So they weren't thinking about that. And you see all through the Gospels that Jesus had to keep telling them, this is where I'm going, this is why I'm doing it, over and over again. But they were, at this point, astonished just by who he was, how he carried himself, how he led, his confidence, his surety of purpose. I love all through the Gospels how it says that when they tried to hurt Jesus in different ways or stop him, it says they couldn't do it because his time had not yet come. And Brian preached about a few weeks back about Jesus being on the, in Luke 4, being on the edge of the cliff where his, his own townspeople, the people he grew up with, were so angry with them. They want to throw him off the cliff. And I love how it says that Jesus just turned around, walked right through the crowd, and they just all parted. And I think Brian referred to this, or Steve, in John 18, when Jesus was going to be taken uh, by this, the uh, crowd uh, of uh, soldiers and the mob there, and they came and said, who you, Jesus says, who are you looking for? They said, Jesus of Nazareth. And he says, I am he, and they just all fall to the ground. You could hear all their armor falling as they kind of stumble. He was just such a confident Man. And that's the guy we follow. If we call ourselves Christians. Disciples of Christ. Followers of Christ. Astonishment and fear. It says that the disciples were astonished, while the other people more followed with fear. And I think as a disciple, we feel fear, but we're not controlled by fear. We're more in the astonishment part. We're when we're really focused on Jesus, there's an awe, there's a wonder, there's an excitement, there's a sense of, uh oh, what's next? And that's what Jesus wants us to have. That's what God wants us to have. I want to read this quote to you that I found by a man named Philip Brooks that really stood out to me. He says, I am far within the mark when I say that all the armies that ever marched and all the navies that were ever, ever were built, and all the parliaments that ever sat, 
and all the kings that ever reigned put together have not affected the life of man upon this earth as powerfully as, ha- as has that one solitary life, the life of Christ. Isn't that true? He's changed the way we think. And I can't go like that preacher just did, you know. He's changed the way you think. He's, I can't do that. But he's changed the way we think. He's got us to where we said about, I would never do that. There we are out there doing that. He's got us to give up sins that we tried everything. Mind power, willpower, support groups, this, that, friendships, accountability. We couldn't change it. Addicted. He helped us change it. He's helped us learn to break down barriers of race, love, hatred, forgiveness. I mean, He's changed our whole lives. And when you see the word leader in the, in the New Testament, often before Jesus, it literally means the word is archego. A-R-C-H-E-A-G-O. Which means the first one to lead the way. And that's who we follow. He doesn't just tell us to do it. He goes with us. And when you see the word follow that we're going to look up today in, this, in our study, the, the word follow means to go with or to accompany. So I love the fact that we're not just... Jesus isn't just way out there. He's right here with us, accompanying us as we go through this life. I don't know about you, but sometimes I can learn things the hard way. This is another one of my favorite parables. And then we'll, uh, we're going to watch a short video and then get into Luke. In Luke 6, he told them this parable. I love how simple and clear Jesus made things. Can a blind man lead a blind man? And the answer is... See, some of you said no. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Yes, he can. The problem is, will they not both fall into a pit? A student is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. Twenty times in the gospel, Jesus says, follow me. Come follow me. Follow me. I'm not going to say it 20 times, but he did. All throughout the gospel writers. This was an important part of who he was. And if you're not following Jesus, this is where you'll end up. In this life and in the life to come. The Bible does talk about pits. The Bible does talk about eternity. But Jesus keeps us out of the pit. Some of us have had to learn... By going into the pit and then saying, okay, you got me, help me out of the pit now. But it's amazing that without his wisdom, without his guidance, without his direction, without his counsel, we will end up in the pit every single time. And there's no better epithet that we can have on our gravestone than he followed Jesus. She followed Jesus. Who cares about the rest? They spelled my name wrong. They left a year, it was a year off. There's no fancy inscriptions. How about just, he followed Jesus. What an incredible epithet that would be. You know, I've been a disciple 22 and a half years. I'm so thankful. It's been a ride. It's been a rush. It's been an adventure. I'm still enthusiastic today. 
You say, Marco, that's just your personality. Okay, I'll give you that. I am an enthusiastic person. But you've seen a lot of people over the years that were very enthusiastic that lost their fire. Because they stopped following Jesus. And I'm so thankful. And I've always believed in Jesus. I grew up believing in Jesus. My parents put it on my heart. They took me to church. But believing in Him, that He was a true figure, that He was the Son of God, didn't mean following Him. And I had to learn how to follow Jesus. We're going to watch this video about the whole concept of Jesus calling people to follow Him. The whole concept of a rabbi calling people to come and learn. Some of you seen this a while ago. Just a short clip that we're going to watch right now. Jesus is a Jewish rabbi with Jewish disciples living in a first century Jewish world. Now Jesus grew up in a region called the Galilee. And the Jewish people in the Galilee believed that God had spoken to Moses, one of their great historical leaders, and had given him the first five books of the Bible. They called these first five books the Torah. Torah means like teaching or instructions or simply the way. And so Torah was, was the and it was the focus of their educational system. So most Jewish boys or girls around the age of six would go to school for the first time to learn the Torah. It'd probably be held in the local synagogue and be taught by a local Torah teacher who was a rabbi. This first level of education was called Beit Sefer and lasted until the kid was around 10 years old. In Beit Sefer, most kids would memorize the Torah and by the age of 10 have the Torah by heart. Every word. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, memorized. Now, by the end of Beit Sefer, which would, which would be around 10 years of age, most kids were no longer going to school. They were uh, learning, they were apprenticing, learning the family trade, learning the family business, learning how to manage a household. But the best of the best would keep going. They would continue their education into the next level, which was called Beit Talmud. In Beit Talmud, the best of the best who were still going on, the ones with the most natural ability, would memorize the rest of the Hebrew scriptures. Genesis through Malachi memorized. Now, by the end of Beit Talmud, 14, 15, most kids obviously, most kids are learning the family business, <laughs> learning the family trade, apprenticing with their parents. But the best of the best of the best would continue on to the next level of education, which was called Beit Midrash. And they'd go to a rabbi and they'd apply to that rabbi to become one of that rabbi's disciples. Now, when we use the word disciple, we often mean student, but we generally mean somebody who knows what the teacher knows. But a disciple is something far deeper. A disciple just doesn't want to know what the rabbi knows. A disciple wants to be like the rabbi and wants to learn to do what the rabbi does. Now, rabbis differed in how they interpreted the Torah. They would take like a verse or a command and one rabbi might say, well, this is what it means. 
to follow this verse or to do this command of God. But another rabbi might say, no, I think it means something slightly different. And so different rabbis had different sets of interpretations about how they lived out and understood and interpreted the scriptures. Now, a rabbi's set of interpretations was called that rabbi's yoke. So when you went and applied to a rabbi to become one of that rabbi's disciples, what you wanted to do is you wanted to take that rabbi's yoke upon you so that you could learn to know what the rabbi knows in order to do what the rabbi does in order to be like the rabbi. So you'd go to a rabbi and you'd say, Rabbi, I want to become one of your disciples. The rabbi would then grill you. The rabbi would ask you questions about Torah, questions about the prophets, questions about the oral tradition. Because the rabbi wants to know, can this kid sit in front of me? Can this kid do what I do? Can this kid spread my yoke? Does this kid have what it takes? So the rabbi would fire off all these questions and grill the kid. And, and if the rabbi thought the kid is kid's good, this kid loves God, loves Torah, but this kid isn't the best of the best of the best. The rabbi might say to the kid, you know, you, you obviously love God and you obviously know the Torah, but you, you don't have what it takes to become one of my disciples. And so the rabbi might say something like, go and continue learning your family, family trade. Continue plying your family trade. But if the rabbi thinks this kid has got it, this kid, I think this kid could do what I do. The rabbi would say to the kid, come, follow me. And so you would leave as this, what, 14, 15-year-old kid? You would leave your family, your friends, your synagogue, your village, and you would devote your entire life to being like your rabbi, learning to do what your rabbi does. This is what it means to be a disciple. with him and they're doing everything they can to keep up with him because they've devoted their lives to doing what their rabbi does. So if you're a disciple by the end of the day with your rabbi traveling on these hot, dusty dirty roads you've got whatever your rabbi stepped in just caked all over the front of you. And So this saying developed among the wise men and the sages that you would say to a disciple you'd say, may you be covered in the dust of of your rabbi. This is a scene that, that everybody, everybody had seen this. They knew exactly what it meant to be covered in the dust of your rabbi. Now, all of this, to me, has huge implications for, for Jesus and how we understand Jesus. Because most rabbis would begin their teaching around the age of 30. And in the Bible, around the age of 30, we have Jesus walking down the shore along the Sea of Galilee. And he comes across Peter and Andrew. And they're fishermen. And Jesus says to them, come, follow me. Well, if they're fishermen, and Jesus calls them to be his disciples, then uh, they're not following another rabbi. And if they're not following another rabbi, they're not the best of the best. They, they, they didn't make the cut. And the text continues. It says that at once they dropped their nets and followed him. Which I've always thought is a bit strange. I mean, it's odd, isn't it? That they just, they just drop them and go. 
And I don't, some of those Christian movies don't help, do they? I mean, it's like Jesus comes down the beach and he's in this white bathrobe and he has this light blue beauty pageant sash on, you know, and his hair is blow dried and he's, and he's Swedish and he calls the <laughs> disciples and they're kind of these robots. They kind of come around and go after him. If you understand it, like in its original context, it starts to make perfect sense. I mean, rabbis were the most honored, respected, revered people anywhere. I mean, the best of the best of the best are the only ones who got to be rabbis. And this rabbi comes down the beach and says to you, come follow me. Well, what's he really saying? What he's really saying is, I think you could do what I do. I mean, he's, he's saying you can be like me. Of course you drop your nets and follow him. And then the text even continues. A little different perspective, huh, on being a disciple, being a follower of Jesus, and just the whole concept of, instead of us going to the rabbi and saying, Rabbi, I want to follow you, Jesus has come to us and said, come follow me. Look at Luke chapter 5 and verse 1. You see Peter here at the beginning of his first few steps in following Jesus. One day Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret with the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God. Verse 2. He saw the waters at the water's edge, two boats left there by fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so full they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees. Remember the fear and astonishment? Go away from me, Lord! I am a sinful man! Astonishment? Now fear is taking over. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything and followed him. What an incredible story and picture about this whole concept of Jesus leading our lives. Come, follow me, is what Jesus said. And it's got two parts. The first part is... Are you going to listen and come to Him? Because you know sometimes you talk to people and they're like, Nah, that's all right, all right, yeah. Okay, I'll see you there sometime. Well, I didn't tell you where it was. Well, I'll find it. It's right around here, right? Oh, yeah, it's just, yeah, okay. You know, there's that sense of coming. And some of you today, you're visiting, you're coming. You're visiting, you're checking things out. Some of you are visiting many times and you're still at that stage of coming to check it out. But you haven't made the decision yet to follow Jesus. There's a difference. You've got to do both. Some people won't even come. 
They just, no, it's okay. Not interested. Don't want to follow Jesus. But this is not a decision you just make once in your life. This is a decision we have to make over and over and over and over and over and over again. Because we can be a Christian and do this. Stop coming to Jesus. Doesn't mean our body's not present, but in our hearts, we're not His disciple. We're not covered in His dust. We're not following that close. Or we'll come and we'll listen, but we're not really following. Church is an addendum to our life rather than, as we heard about the whole concept of a rabbi and a student, it's your whole life. You want to be around the rabbi so you can learn to think like the rabbi, so you can be just like the rabbi. And this whole concept of come, it's two parts, and then follow me. You know, I love this passage down in verse 5. This is following Jesus. You've got your way of doing things, and then you've got God's way of doing things. It's no problem doing God's way when it agrees with your way. And it's no problem doing it God's way when things aren't in your life the hard way. But when things are in the kind of a hard way in your life, or it's not your way, there's this, this decision point. There's this moment of discernment, of struggle. I have a very stubborn will. Some of you do too. I've had to learn, literally, I've had to learn how to submit to Jesus. I was the kind of kid that would say, do not walk on the grass. I'd walk up, look at the sign, snicker. My friend would say, hey, what are you doing? You're not supposed to walk on the grass. I'd step on the sign and then walk over the grass, snicker, snicker, snicker. Nothing happened to me. See, I told you. Come on, guys. Do you know what I'm saying? And in my sinful flesh... Some of you are looking at me and you're my minister. I'm just being honest. I mean, that's, that's my nature. I've had to learn how to submit, trust, obey Jesus. Well beyond the little snickering of walking on the grass in my whole life. And it wasn't just my first step of following Jesus. I just have to keep learning it over and over and over again. And certain times, he says, come follow, and I just truck right along. Other times, I hesitate. I don't really want to. Especially if it's kind of hitting home and costing me something. Especially if I don't see it that way. I don't totally agree. And I love this passage where he says, see, Jesus wasn't a fisherman. Peter was. But Jesus created the fish, the net, the water, the boats, he knew where all the fish were under the water. You know what I'm saying? So even though he wasn't a fisherman, he, G, Peter had to trust him. And so Peter had just come in from fishing all night. Many of you that have worked nights or work nights know how you feel right in the morning or if you stayed up all night. You're just not yourself. You can be nice to people somewhat, but you're just half-baked. You know, you're just kind of like, okay, yeah. Uh. And so Peter's done cleaning all his nets. He listens to a sermon. Hey, can I use your boat? Sure, sure, yeah, go ahead. He's cleaning the nets, paying attention to the sermon, kind of. Then when he's done, he tells him, hey, great lesson, Jesus. I really got a lot out of it. Jesus goes, push out. What? Let's go get some fish. And, you know, as a fisherman, that's not when you fish. They were out at night because that's when you fished. 
But Peter says, he goes through that defining moment of, am I going to really follow this guy? I don't really know why Peter followed him at that point in the sense of about fishing. Why didn't they just have a talk? Why did Jesus have to make it like a lesson where more labor was involved? I think it was because it was testing Peter's humility. Will he submit to this religious teacher, this rabbi, about fishing? And what he says is, hey, Master, I've done it. I've worked hard. But because you say so, I don't know if he said it sarcastically. I don't know if he said it rolling his eyes. I don't know if he said it, all right, because you say so. You'll see. I will. I, I don't, the Bible doesn't define that. But it just, you see his struggle. But then he obeys. So the struggle is not the problem. The defining moment is the obedience. I struggle, you struggle, we struggle, we all struggle. It's part of following Jesus. But the real defining moment over our salvation is do we obey? When you study all through the Bible, Old and New Testament, this concept of obedience is sacred. Not just when Jesus came on the scene, the entire Bible. In fact, it's so serious that the Bible defines in the New Testament and in the Old Testament to love God is to obey God. And sometimes we're really into it and we feel it, and other times it's just sheer, no pun intended, gritting it out. But that is following Jesus, trusting and obeying. You know, uh, I'm so encouraged uh, just watching Christina Chu, who just became a Christian just a few months ago. Watching her come from little faith to complete faith. Watching her wrestle and listen to the Bible on CD and listen to the different sermons and reading different books and asking lots of questions and, and, and watching her go from little faith, not sure, how does this fit with science, I don't know, to watching her come to complete faith and watching her become a disciple. It's been so inspiring. And, uh, you know, she's now engaged. Her, her and her fiancé, her disciples, are getting married as disciples uh, coming up here in August 27th, right? Okay, I'm doing the wedding, so I don't want to forget the date. But I'm just, I mean, who would have thought if you would have told her two years ago, hey, you're going to follow Jesus. It's going to change the whole course of your life. You probably went, "Uh uh-huh, yeah, okay. Uh, Excuse me, and walked off. But I'm so proud of her. It's been so inspiring. I'm so encouraged by Rachel. Hi, Rachel's a younger Christian. She's not young, but younger. She leads all the South Bay women. And I appreciate her stepping up to do it. It's It's hard to lead yourself, right? Just yourself. Isn't that hard to lead yourself? Let alone one other person. Because you say right, they go, why? Or, okay, if I have to. You know, it's hard. But I appreciate her taking on as a younger Christian. I'll lead the whole group. It's been a battle. It's been a struggle. But I appreciate her heart to surrender, to submit, to try. And God's blessing it. Very proud of her. Is this your attitude toward Jesus? Where you let Him lead you? How about when it comes to your schedule? Jesus, because you say so, I will. How about teens? That attitude, because Jesus says so, I may not want to, but because he says so, I will. How about in your parenting? Some of us keep thinking we come up with new ideas about parenting. The Bible has all we need to know about parenting in the sense of the basics. And we add our new ideas and we go away from, because what the Bible says, I will, it doesn't go well with us. Or whatever it is, this is the spirit of following Jesus. Because you say so, I will. 
And we've got to get comfortable where someone that asks us to do something that doesn't sit right with us, we've got to be able to say and get comfortable. I can't do that. Why not? Because I follow Jesus. And yes, you'll get a reaction. What? What does that mean? What does that have to do with anything? I can't do that because I follow Jesus. It's a great opportunity to then start a conversation about, share, about why we follow Jesus. Right? Versus just, no thanks, or no, no, I can't do that, or I don't, I'm not, I, I follow Jesus. It might take people back a little bit, but it's a good taking back. You know, I've struggled many times with having that attitude of, because you say so, I will. Come follow me. This is the call of Jesus. When he leads you, what do you say? Do you say, because I say so, because you say so, I will, or because I say so, I'll think about it. This is the Spirit. And if, you're, if you follow Jesus in every area, stage, situation, if you follow a path of somebody that falls into pits, all you have to do is trace it back and go, where did they stop following Jesus? And right there, that one point where they stopped following Jesus, you can say, that's why they failed. That's why they're in the pit. That's why it's not going well with them. John 21, we'll look at this last passage right here. Here's Peter, what an interesting story. Here's Peter now being called to follow at the end of his ministry. And so what's great about this study is at the beginning, you see different challenges in following Jesus. Right? His first few steps, he was afraid. He was seized with fear. He was astonished, but he was more seized with fear. Now you see him seized with fear again and not really astonished anymore. This is a great passage, but what happened here, to give you context, John 21, Jesus had died, uh, was, you know, and been buried, and the guys were depressed. In fact, they went back to fishing. Anybody want to go fishing? They said, yeah, we'll go with you. And so seven of them, Peter included, went out fishing. And they're out fishing. They fished when? All night. What'd they catch? You gotta love God's sense of humor. In fact, there's Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, now standing on the shore. Friend! And they're kind of bringing it on in for the night. Another donut. Another struggle. And it's funny how sometimes God does things we don't put two and two together. Hey, I've been here before. God's taught me this lesson. I thought I've already graduated from this class. Why does this sound eerily familiar? I see a pattern. And I'm included. Like, you know, and so, friend, have you caught any fish? And then they don't realize it's Jesus because it's kind of far from the shore and they're not thinking that way. They're into themselves. No! Try the other side of the boat! And then suddenly, Peter's like, I think, no. Wait, hey, wait. And so they try the other side of the boat. They catch 153 fish. The net didn't break, which was a miracle because there were so many fish. Peter at this point, he just, now he goes from fear to astonishment. He just jumps out of the boat and just starts swimming to Jesus. He's so excited. And we pick up right here, as Jesus had already made him some breakfast. And, uh, verse 15. When they finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? And he's talking about more than the rest of these guys. Because, you know, Peter was always the first one that said, Lord, even if no one stands up, I will. Remember how he's always the first guy to say, Jesus, I'm following you. Because do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. 
Jesus said, take care of my sheep. Verse 17, the third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. I tell you the truth. When you were younger and dressed, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you to where you do not want to go. Isn't this part of discipleship too? Isn't this part of following Jesus? Sometimes you're led to where you don't want to go. Sometimes God puts you in situations where you go, why me? Why can't I have their life? Their life's easier than my life. I've felt that before. Has anyone ever felt that? Okay, Calvin, I'll, I'll preach to you. You know when you're just kind of... But I mean, literally, I felt, man, how come I got to deal with this? Why not? I mean, he's got it easier. She's... That's not fair. And you see Peter going through the same thing. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw that the disciple who Jesus loved was following them. He was the, this was the one who would lean back against the supper and said, Lord, who's going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? <laughs> Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Because of this, the rumor spread among the brothers that this disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say that he would not die. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You've got to love the God's sense of humor. You know, what a great passage. Here's now the resurrected Jesus. Getting ready to commission Peter. Peter, you need to do this. You know, many of us in this room are faithful followers of Jesus Christ. Day in, day out. Week in, week out. Year in, year out. I'm grateful to partner with you. You give me strength. You know when you realize other people are going through things too? You feel like you can do it? Especially when people around you don't seem like they want to do it. And then you see a brother or sister. And you're like, okay, they're doing it. I'm doing it. We can do it. You know, there's that sense of encouragement. Thank you for encouraging me. Thank you for encouraging your brothers and sisters. You know, this is the admonition for us. The challenge for us. Where he's talking now to Peter at the end of the ministry. Really about the beginning of Peter's ministry. And he's passing the baton once more. Peter, take it. Let's go. And we know from many of you have heard before, but when he asked him, do you love me? The first two times he asked, do you love me? He asked, do you agape me? Do you love me with no strings attached? Do you love me unconditionally? Do you love me in spite of whatever's going to happen to you? Do you love me enough to love me completely, even if it's going to cost you pain? And Jesus, Peter answers back, yeah, I'm your friend. Jesus asks him, do you agape me? He answers back, yes, I phileo you, which means friend, where we get the word Philadelphia. And he asks him again, do you agape me? And he says again, yes, I'm your friend. You love me unconditionally? Yes, I'm your friend. Kind of a lower level commitment of love. And then the third time Jesus asked, which I thought was interesting, Peter, are you my friend? Do you phileo me? Lord, I'm hurt now. You know I'm your friend. And he calls him to feed his sheep, take care of his lambs, feed his lambs. What is he talking about? Feeding my lambs, helping baby Christians, helping the young, 
feeding the sheep, helping strengthen the body of Christ, and taking care of the sheep, helping us all get to heaven. What a great challenge this is. How is your unconditional love and obedience to Jesus? Is it a friend? You're my friend. You're my buddy. Come on, Jesus. Or is it unconditional? Last time I checked, everybody has problems. And every so often you have a day or a week or a month where you're like, Hey, I think I got a rhythm. This is problem-free life. These things are coming together. Everything's... And then reality sets the next day. Right after you said that, you get a phone call. You go to work. Something. And you're like, What? It's not supposed to happen this way. I was on a groove. I was, I was in a rhythm. I figured it out. It's not real world. Romans 8 talks about God created us in this body to be uncomfortable. To long for the next life. He created this body, this world, to be incomplete. To be, to be full of decay. To have problems. The difference is, when we deal with Jesus, we can navigate the problems doesn't mean they're not hard doesn't mean we don't want to we don't want to go through it but we can navigate them with a great attitude you know one of the signs of someone that's mature that's following Jesus is they're about helping people it's interesting when you analyze this verse and you say why did he pick out of all the things he could have said why did he pick these little statements feed my lambs take care of my sheep feed my sheep what an interesting I mean he could have said hey Peter Stay focused. Peter, preach the word. I mean, he could have said a lot of things. But Peter's heart had wavered, had strayed, was self-focused. And when we're self-focused, the last thing we're going to think about is baby Christians, helping people know God, strengthening the church. Church becomes more like a movie theater where you come, you, in your heart you hold up your grading sign of how the sermon was. Not so bad. I'll give them an 8.2. You know, it, and it, it, whatever, you know, you resonate with a certain type of preacher, this or that. But you, it doesn't go beyond to, this is my church. This is God's counting on me to help everybody. This is following Jesus. Do you understand what I'm saying? Hey, bro, I need you to lead. Uh, let me pray about that. We have a joke in the singles that, that let me pray about that is like a fake thing. Bro, can you give someone so a ride? I mean, pray about that. Pray about a ride. What do you, what do you, God, should I give this person a ride? Or, I mean, we kind of realize it's kind of a, just a, it's a cop out for saying, I don't really want to. Let me see if I can get out of it. Let me pretend I'm spiritual and go pray about it. But I probably won't because I know my attitude's wrong and then you'll probably stop asking me because I said that. Did I call it? So I'm not, next time you say, let me pray about a serious decision, I'm not going to be like, at all. But I mean, come on. If we really need to pray about something, great. But let's not be like fake in our spirit. Mm, let me pray about whether I should serve and help with the sound. Let me pray. I mean, if you need me, let's see if I can do it. I want, I want to serve. That, that's my attitude. That's, that's for the church. I want to feed the sheep. I want to take care of the lambs. I want to help. And you've got to see that Jesus was calling him to an unbelievable commitment. Is your commitment to Jesus conditional or unconditional? We all have struggle moments. You see it with Peter at the beginning of the ministry. You see it at the end of his ministry. Where he's wrestling. Went back to fishing. 
Then he saw it was Jesus. Jumps out of the boat. He's all eager. He gets up to Jesus. He's all fired up. I'm back with Jesus. And Jesus goes, let's talk a little deeper now. Sure. What do you, what do you, what's on your heart? You love me? Oh, yeah, yeah. Come on, you know I do. You know, he's, Jesus. You and me, baby. All day long. He goes, no, let's get deeper. Let's get real. Do I have your total allegiance? Not just when things are going your way. Not Because I'm, I'm going, I'm heading back to heaven. Do I have your total allegiance? No excuses. And Peter struggled right then and there. Because he said, Peter, and you see in the, in, the, in the Gospel of Luke, he says, very scary passage. He says, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. Remember that passage? And I prayed for you so that when you turn back, what did he tell them to do again? Strengthen your brothers. So one of the signs of a mature follower of Jesus, one of the major signs, is he or she is about strengthening their brothers and sisters. Serving, giving, helping. They go beyond their own problems, because we all have them, and they're contributing and giving all the way to the end. Follow me. He says, and I'm so thankful for all the small group leaders, all the family or all the community group leaders, all those that serve. I'm so thankful that you're helping do what Jesus says. Keep going. What an intense verse where he says in in verse 19, right after he tells him how he's going to die, because Peter was crucified later upside down. He says, follow me. Follow me. He simplifies it. You know, I'm thankful for the Hammond family, how they've continued to follow Jesus through some very serious adversities of health and finances. It's not been easy. It's not always been peachy in the sense of working through things. But I appreciate their discipleship to Jesus. It's genuine. It's real. It's felt. And it's true. Let me just close here with some practicals. If you're not a disciple today, make a decision to follow Jesus. Learn how to not just believe in Him, but to follow Him. How to have the motivation and a relationship with Him that will carry you all the way to the end. That there's nothing that would sway you from your relationship with Him. You might rock a little bit, but nothing will ever get you to disconnect. Make a decision to follow Jesus. We'll help you. If you're visiting today or if you're studying the Bible and you're stuck, we'll help you. But you've got to decide to come, be receptive, and then to really be uh, able to be led. Start following. A lot of people say, well, I want to learn everything before I follow. Christianity doesn't work that way. You learn as you go. And in fact, that is the learning. You put it into practice, it comes alive. That is faith. Decide, secondly, to not put limits on your discipleship to Jesus. We all are tempted to do it, and we all fall into weak moments when we do it. But just decide, I will never say no to Jesus. No limits. I'm not talking about running yourself ragged. I'm talking about in your heart, he's, you're available completely. He, you're his completely. Third, if your heart's flat today, there's no fire. And there was no fire last week. And you felt, man, I need to get some fire. There's no fire the week before. Get help to get reinstated to Jesus, just like Peter did. Get help to get that eagerness to where you're jumping out of the boat and you're getting, you're going after it. We'll help you get your heart back. But you've got to ask. And finally, let's make discipleship times happen. What are discipleship times? Where you meet together to talk about how you're doing spiritually, how's your marriage, 
How's your kids? How's your quiet times? How's your finances? How's the intimacy in your marriage? How's your friendships? How is life? How's your evangelism? Whatever it is, where you talk about things of the heart. Let me tell you this. If the only time you ask for help is when there's the wolf. You know, really. Like, hey, I need help. Now I know I'm in crisis. Discipleship is not crisis management. That's part of it. But if the only time you get together is because you're sinking, you're missing out on the whole development of following Christ and the joys that come day in, day out. Let's make our discipleship happen. Jesus says, come, follow me. What do you say? Let's be captivated by the astonishment, not by the fear. And let's obey the call and follow him. Thank you.